0: Um, last week, I hope you guys had a chance and, and maybe you weren't here, but if you, if you were and you had a chance to, to hear Aaron Hughes, um, speak about his, uh, their ministry, him, him and Kristen, their ministry in Sweden. And we've had a, a really good, um, I know our connect group was, was fo- kind of reflecting on this. We've had a chance to hear a couple really good guest speakers the last couple of, I guess, months now with, uh, Altaf Nassim coming from, uh, Pakistan and then, uh, Aaron Hughes and uh, you know our whole goal with with missions is to I think exposure is very very important and and see seeing what God's doing in, in the world and not just in our little world but in the big world and so I really enjoyed Aaron and Kristen being here last week and if you missed that or you need to get more information about their ministry just let me know. Uh, they are back in uh, Sweden now so they left Tuesday. We were the last stop on their U.S. tour so uh Anyway, um, we're back in Romans, and we weren't in Romans last week, obviously, Aaron was speaking, but two weeks ago when we were in Romans, uh, Craig did a great job of kind of walking us through verses 26, 27, 28, 29, and 30, uh, and he pointed out three really solid truths from that text that really give us a lot of hope, and those four or five verses are, are very encouraging, very hopeful. Um, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that message, I encourage you to go back on the website or podcast and do that. It always helps when we take a break for a week or a month or whatever it might be to, to listen to the last one before you get to the new one, so everything makes sense. Um, but today we're going to just pick up where Craig left off, and we're going to be. I'm going to try to. What I'm going to do is going to read the last few verses of of chapter eight, and then what we're going to try, try to do is break this into two parts. I'm going to do. Uh, part one uh, today, and then we'll get to the remaining verses uh, next week. It, the verses are actually so rich that it's, it's hard to cover in just one time. So, so we are in, we're going to start in verse 31. I'm going to read through the end, but we're really going to focus in on those first three or four verses. So if you're reading along with me, I'll get the screen going here in a minute. All right, there we go. So, Romans 8, verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, it's absolutely powerful group of verses. And honestly, we could sit here, and we could read these verses over and over and just reflect on the, the comfort and the encouragement in these verses. But if you look at this text closely, you probably could count, depending on your version of the Bible, probably about seven rhetorical questions that Paul asks as he ends chapter 8. And I'm not going to cover all seven of those questions this week. I'm going to focus on the first four questions he asked, and then I'm going to get to the last three next week. But my the main focus I want to take from those four questions that we're looking at this week, and we're really looking at verses uh, 31, 32, 33, is we're going to see three primary gifts that God gives us through his word, but also through the the gospel, the gift of the gospel. And Paul delivers this in in the form of questions. And I think it's really life-changing questions. Even though the questions themselves are rhetorical, it's a very interesting way of of teaching and preaching and writing. And so when when we read Paul's questions, these are some incredible gifts, Incredibly precious gifts. We're going to look at, number one, security that we get. Number two, the sacrifice we receive. And number three, the safety that is there for for those that are in Christ Jesus. So I want to start with that first gift that we see in this text. As in verse 31. If you go back to verse 31, that first gift is security. And it says in verse 31, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, if we look at just that first question in that verse... That is a statement referring back to the things Craig talked about two weeks ago. It's so, so it's saying, in light of those three truths that Craig pointed out, then what are we to conclude? That's what Paul said. What then shall we say? So you, to understand that question, that's referring back to those truths that Craig pointed out. And, and obviously, he's already answered that question in those verses, verses 26 through, through 30. And it's always, it's always interesting to me when, um, when there's, a, there's a question followed by another question. Sometimes, like, if you ever ask somebody a question, and then they follow that up by asking you a question, I'm like, wait a minute, I wanted an answer. I didn't want another question. And yet, Paul asks a question, and he answers himself with another question that yet provides an answer. So, it's a very interesting, um, we don't see this a lot in the Bible. We don't see it a lot even in the way we talk today, but yet it's still a very powerful way to communicate. So, he's communicating with these rhetorical questions, and it's really pointing it's really actually bold statements. They're not really questions in my mind, but they're bold statements about the character of God and the nature of His love for us. And, and you can see that in that second question in this verse. He says, so if, if God is for us, then who can be against us? Maybe one of my favorite, like, little sentences in all of Scripture. If God is for us, who can be against us? So that's what we were just singing about in that that second song, is that we're, we're not alone, and He is with us and for us. And to fully understand Paul's statement here, though, I want you to understand what Paul is not saying in this verse. And I think a lot of times this is misinterpreted and it's, mis, um, I guess it's, it's miscontextualized. So what he's not saying here is that you're not going to face adversity or challenges or loss or enemies or difficult times. He's not saying that if you're in Christ, you're exempt from those things. Okay, And I think a lot of people read that, and they, they make this bold claim, if God's for us, who can be against us, that my life's going to be good, and it's going to be easy, and it's going to be without those things. And clearly that's not true, because if you look at verse 35, which I just read, we'll cover next week, Paul makes a huge list there. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, which means death. Those are all things that we all could and likely will face, right? And yet, What Paul is saying in verse 31 is not that you're not going to face them, but that when you do face them, understand that with God, those things are no match for him. So he said, you're going to face them, but with God, they're no match for him. I love the comparison that uh, Pastor J.D. Greer at the Summit Church draws from this passage to Psalm 23. Most of y'all know Psalm 23 by heart. And in Psalm 23, there's a one verse in there where, he, where David's writing, he says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. So if we just stop right there and we just look at that one part, the valley of the shadow of death is not a uh, dream vacation destination, right? Uh, I know my house, we watch a lot of HGTV, and they have all these destination, you know, your dream house and dream whatever, and, I've never seen the valley of the shadow of death on any one of those shows. So that's not a place that people want to go, right? And yet, so we, in, in our lives, we don't want to go there. And I think in many, many times, we avoid or we attempt to avoid going there. When we even pray and ask God to keep us out of those valleys, right? We don't, we don't want to walk through that. God, let this storm pass. Let this trial pass. Let this challenge be over. And yet what, what David's saying in Psalm 23 is very applicable and practical truth for us, and it's that I know that I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's not a question. He says, I am in the valley of the shadow of death. That's part of life for all of us. Like, that's unescapable. Like, if one of the, the, they say that, you know, taxes and death, right? The things you can count on in life. Uh, We, as human beings, and it's very hard to grapple with that, We are not made to live here eternally. So we all will face death, whether that's today or 10 years or 50 years or 70, whatever it is, we face that. It is as certain as anything, that is, unless Christ returns. And so what he's saying is that I know I'm going to walk through that valley in the shadow of death, but when I do, it's going to be okay because you are with me. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 8.31 that God is, number one, He's for you, and number two, He is with you. And so that whatever or whoever comes along to oppose you is not going to matter because God's with you. And, and don't miss that point because what that, that's probably the biggest point in this text, is that what that should provide for us is security. So it doesn't matter when the big storms face us or the big storms come into our life. We're like, wow, I thought I was serving you, God. I thought I was being faithful. Where is this coming from? We know that's going to happen. We need to expect it and then say, you know what, doesn't matter. Romans 8, 31, God is with us and God is for us. So make sure you see the security in this text. The second gift we see in this text is that God gives to us is his sacrifice. And look at verse 32. He says it very plainly, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him Graciously give us all things. Now, here again, Paul's question uh, or his answer to the question is very obvious. He states it in the very first part of this verse. Uh, if you want to, a lot of you know um John three sixteen. Imagine John three sixteen is the first part of Romans 8:32. Might as well be the same thing. John three sixteen, for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That's what that first phrase is saying. He who did not spare his own Son but gave him up for us all. That's, that's the same exact truth that's being stated in a different way. And then he says, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So you look at this, this verse, I think we need to stop and look at the first part of the verse to understand the second part. And the first part of the verse, specifically the weight of the investment that God makes on our behalf, the weight of that sacrifice. Um, I was trying to, as I was thinking through this and praying through this, I, I was thinking of an illustration to, to kind of show you this. And this, something happened in my my life the last couple weeks. Um, I guess it's been the last couple of weeks. Um, I can't remember. Things go by so fast. But anyway, last, Jamie will probably know, she'll correct me, but... Uh, Two three weeks ago, we noticed that one of our dogs was not doing well, and he was not acting very normal. And I say our dogs; um, we actually don't have well, we do have dogs. We don't have dogs, so we have two dogs. They they share living arrangements with across the street with Jamie's parents is where they usually sleep, but they come over to our house a lot. And um, the one dog that that Jamie and I actually we had I think I got a picture of yeah you can't really see him, but that that's Danceler um, and Jamie and I adopted this dog um, way back before we even had kids. About, I think it was, what was it, Jamie, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. And I, I call that, that was the, the time that we referred to as the land before time. Like, we didn't know what was going on. We didn't have kids. And so uh, we, um, we ad- uh, ad- adopted him from one of the local shelters here. He was just a puppy. And uh, we named him Dantzler. That may sound like a weird name, but that's one of my favorite Clemson football players' last name. Anyway. He, he was, we adopted him, he lived with us, he was an inside dog, um, and he, he stayed inside all the time. That was until we had kids. And uh, so we, Drew was born, and, and Dantzler did fine with that, no big deal, but then Merrill was born uh, a couple years later, and uh, that didn't go over well, and some of y'all know that story, and I'm not going to get into that story today, but uh, what eventually happened was through a series of, I guess we'd call them unfortunate events, uh Dantzler Went a little overboard marking his territory in our house when we brought Merrill home, and uh, so that uh, that that was uh, not good, and that eventually led to his transfer to being living with Jamie's parents. And um, that story has a lot more detail and stuff, and I'll get into that later in, in another time. But needless to say, Dantzler started using the bathroom like at an alarming rate inside, and I guess he was just overwhelmed like bringing another baby. He's like, What are y'all doing? I don't know, but. Um, so between his bathroom habits and my patients, that was that was it. So uh, he packed his bags, and he moved just down the street. Worked out for him, worked out for me, it worked out. But anyway, a couple weeks ago, uh, Jamie's dad noticed that, that Dancer was, he wasn't moving real well. And it was, I don't know, it was probably 6 or 7 o'clock at night. And it, it was pretty bad, so they said, we need to do something tonight. And so they ended up taking him to one of those uh, 24-hour vets. I think they were up in Holly Springs or Apex or somewhere. And um, so uh, I was at home with the kids. Jamie went up to the vet with her dad, and they were doing several tests and x-rays and all that kind of stuff to figure out what was going on, why he seemed to be so immobile. And um, it it took a while. Uh, We I was at home with the kids, and they obviously want to know what was going on with Dantzler. I'm like, well, we don't know. And so me and Jamie are texting back and forth, and she's texting me, like, about updates, like what's going on with the dog. And then she's, like, asking me how the kids are doing. Are they worried? I'm like, yeah, they're worried. What's you know, it's just back and forth texting. And I was just trying to, you know, keep it together. And uh, so Jamie and her dad were up there. They're in the, the waiting room kind of waiting to see what's going on. Me and the kids were doing the same thing but at home. And um, one thing that, that me and the kids did when we were there at home was we, we were praying for Dancler, and Jude specifically prayed for Dancler. Jude is very close to Dancler, Meryl's very close to Dancler, and, uh, and I found out later that Jamie was also praying for Dancler too while she was up in the vet's office. And so we waited, and um, I guess they came back one time and said something, and they came back and said something else, and it was all over the place. But they eventually determined what they thought was a, some type of mass or tumor in his neck was actually not a mass or tumor, but instead was some type of condition that they could treat with medicine and rest. So that went from, like, really bad news to really good news, and we were really, really happy. And that's how we've been treating Dancer the last two weeks, three weeks, whatever it's been, and uh, he seems to be getting a lot better. But but after Jamie um, got home, she brought Dancer home that night, she and I were talking, and one of the things that we were talking about is the how Jude immediately turned to prayer. And he, I mean, he wasn't asking me, okay, to... Help Dancler be better because he knew I had no power to do that. He was asking God, which I think knowing the source of power in your life is very, very important. Know who to run to. Sometimes it's a friend, and sometimes it needs to be your Lord. And, and so I, when Jude was, was praying about Dancler, I knew that he knew who had the ultimate authority. And then Jamie was expressing, you no, know, she was praying too. And then we were talking, and she expressed to me this fascinating point and, and, and how the gospel comes into play here. And, and she expressed how badly she wanted Danceler to be okay, not, not just because she loves Danceler, she does, but primarily because she knew how much anything that happened to Danceler would hurt her kids, would hurt Jude and Merrill. And, and she was overwhelmed by her love for her kids, and in the moments of that night, she was desperate for good news so that her kids would not have to be hurt. And then she made this comment, and I can't remember it word for word, but she said that these, these circumstances opened her eyes to the sacrifice and love of our Heavenly Father because what he did is he knowingly sent his only son to suffer and die as a sacrifice for our sin. And she said, you know, I w- at that moment, you're sitting there in that vet's office and you get, you get lost in, you know, uh, circumstances and you're, you're in the moment. She said, I was willing to do anything to to make the dog better, so that my kids didn't have to hurt, I would do anything, right? And yet, God loves us so much that He sent Jesus not only to be hurt. Okay, she knew that her kids were going to be hurt if something were to happen to Dancer. God sent Jesus not only to be hurt, but to suffer and to die in our place. And when you think about it in that light, that weight is incredible. Jamie and I didn't want anything to happen to our dog. So that our kids would not have to hurt. Just just hurt. We didn't want hurt to happen. And yet God didn't send Jesus to hurt. God sent Jesus to suffer and to die in our place. That is an incredible, incredible sacrifice that carries a weight that I don't think we realize enough until we're in the moment. We're in those challenging circumstances. And that's why in verse 32 it really should change our perspective he who did not spare his own son, didn't send him just to hurt, sent him to die, sent him as a sacrifice. After that kind of sacrifice, that kind of investment, I think we, we can and we should know the answer to Paul's question at the end of verse 32, and that he will supply every need. J.D. Greer puts it like this. He said, he's got more invested in your life than you do, so relax. That's a good way of putting that, Right? He literally, if you think about what he's got invested into you, I think he's going to take care of you. If you don't have the money to pay the bill at the end of the month, you don't have the job, you don't have the circumstance, you don't have the relationship, he's going to take care of that. It may not feel like it. I understand that. But think how much he has invested into you. It'd be like you taking your life savings, everything you work worked for, everything that means everything to you, and putting it in one single investment. You're going to do everything you can to take care of that investment, Right? Well, you are that investment for God. He's not going to save you to leave you. He's not going to save you and say, you know what, you're on your own. There's this idea in our culture that a lot of times that God is, he's there, but God creates us and then he kind of leaves us alone, right? So there's, there's this overwhelming presence in the sky. Yes, we're made by something, a creator, but he really doesn't care about our lives and about the details. And I'm going to tell you that is the most furthest thing from the truth you can imagine. He cares about every detail. He cares about the moments with, with animals when you're hurting. He cares about moments when you feel alone and you're hurting. He cares about moments when you think you're having anxiety over something that you shouldn't be having anxiety over. He cares about every single thing. And I'm telling you, if you look at the end of verse 32, how will he not also supply every single need? I like Pastor Greer's word, relax. That's a word I need to hear. God has it under control. So we've seen the security, we've seen the sacrifice, and the last thing I want to look at as we close is the safety that God gives us in Romans 8. Look at verse 33. And we're going to dive more into the rest of it next week. Paul says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. All right, so that language obviously when I read those words, probably or should bring to, to mind, that's courtroom language, right? That's who's bringing charges against this person. Who's the, ac- the accuser, the accusation? All those, are, it's, it's courtroom language. And in our lives, I will tell you that a lot of you already know this, but charges uh, against us can come in many, many different forms. And a lot of you have faced these already. A lot of you are facing these right now. So a lot of us, you know, you may have had a, a difficult upbringing, where your parents were always accusatory where they condemned you every single thing you did was wrong and you never could please them and so your accusations and your charges were brought against you maybe even from when you were just a little kid or or maybe it's now where you work in a situation where you've got a coworker or your boss is very condescending and they're critical and they're constantly bringing accusations against you. Some of y'all work in environments like that. And it's, and it's very tough when you, when you have that situation. For still others, for a lot of us, and I would include myself in this, that the charges that are brought against us come from ourselves. We levy the charges. We blame ourselves for everything that you're carrying. And you carry around the weight of guilt with you all the time because you are your number one accuser, and you essentially serve as your own worst enemy. And then still others, there are supernatural resources and sources of accusations and charges in terms of the spiritual warfare that's ongoing around us every single day. The Bible says it very specifically that our enemy is like a roaring lion seeking to whom he can devour. Okay, that means that you're going to have charges brought. That's what that means. So if you don't get them from your parents, and you don't get them from your job, and you don't get them from your teachers at school, and you don't get them from your family, you don't get them from yourself, you can be rest assured that you're going to get them from your enemy. Because that's what the Bible tells us. So there's going to be charges brought. There's going to be charges brought. But what Paul is saying in verse 33 is that regardless of who or what or where the charges against you come from, that those charges will not hold up in the court of heaven. See, the charges can come. And y'all y'all see this all the time. We see it all the time in the news now where somebody makes a charge, the it's investigated, like, oh, there's no, there's nothing, that that charge is not going to stick. Like and the judge throws it out. The, never, it never even goes to trial because there's no, there's no way there has any evidence. And I would say when when whatever charges come against you, what Paul is saying in verse 33 is who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It's only God who justifies. So, see, it's not a coincidence, if you go back to Romans 8.1, the way we started this chapter, that the way it ends in verse 33, or as we get close to the way it ends, it ends the same way it begins, stating the exact same truth. Look, look, at, look at these two verses comparatively. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And then 33, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. In the ultimate courtroom for all of eternity, God's the judge. God's the ultimate judge. And that's why, that's why Paul says, it is God who justifies. Like, just in case you had any, uh, you weren't certain, there's only one judge. And there's only one opinion that matters. And, and what Paul is saying is, there is, in verse 33, there is no higher court. There's no higher judge. There's no appeals court. There's no mistrial. God is the ultimate and the final judge, and what he says and what he declares is the final verdict. And he has already declared your final verdict if you're in Christ because of the sacrifice we talked about in point two, that Jesus has already paid your punishment, paid the penalty for your sin. Therefore, God declares you not guilty. And so there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus Paul is just laying this out, hammering the same truth over and over and over and over from verse 1 to verse 33 and so forth. And and we'll see it even again next week in a little bit different form as he closes out the chapter. I was reading this week, and and I've read it before. I've heard it in classes. I work at a college, and so I hear these kind of statements made in various uh, settings that in religion or even in psychology— that a person's identity can be established or is often established by what the most important person in their life thinks about them, okay? So in other words, there's this thought out there that in whatever religion you're in or whatever psychodynamic reality you're in, you'll hear this said that what a person believes about themselves is often linked to what the most important person in their life believes about them. So if you, if you think about that for just a second, I'd ask you kind of two questions to go with that. Number one, who is that person for you? Who is that person? And then number two, what do they believe about you? And immediately, probably y'all thinking of people should come to mind, and uh, what they believe about you should, should come to mind. But let me just stop you wherever you're going there and tell you that if the most important person in your life is any other person, any other person, I can guarantee you that you'll never live up to their expectations. And it's mainly because other people are just like me and you, and they're sinful. And so they're not going to be a good measure of your worth. Likewise, this is also true of some of us, you might be the most important in your own life. And so if you're the one that is the most important person, then you're also not going to live up to your own expectations. You're going to deal with guilt and doubt and you're going to never be able to meet the expectations you set for yourself. See, the most important person in our life needs to be God. That's an obvious truth. But when when the most important person is God, we can know that we will always accurately be identified. Our identity will always be accurate because we will be who God says you are, not who you think you are, Not who so-and-so says you are, but who God says you are. And in verse 33, Paul says it is God who is the one who justifies. And it's vitally, vitally important that we remember that truth when we face accusations against us. Especially accusations from our enemy. Accusations of any kind. But we know accusations will always come, but rest in the knowledge and knowing that that they are never going to hold up. They're never going to stick in the courtroom of eternity. As we wrap this, these, these three verses together, these, I guess there's four questions in these verses, I, I hope that you can feel the comfort, and I hope you can feel the encouragement from these verses. And that would be if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me be very, very clear as I wrap this up, that everything Paul is saying here. Is, is not designed for all people. This is not a blanket statement for all people of all the world. This is a statement intended for believers in Jesus, those who have placed their faith in him to save them from their sin. They have confessed their sin, and they have asked him to be the Lord of their life. That is who Romans 8 is for. If you think about Romans 8, 1, there's no condemnation for who? For everybody. Is that what it says? No. There's no condemnation for those who, Who are in Christ Jesus? So let me be very, very clear that if you're not a believer here this morning and you've not reached a point where you've placed your faith and your life in His hands, you've not asked for forgiveness of your sin, then everything I've said does not apply to you. And that that's heartbreaking for me to say because it's so easy for us to say that this applies to everybody, that God loves every everybody, and He does. But what Paul is saying is that there's only condemnation for those who are not in Christ. For those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. I was reading, and I I came across this this week. Uh, Dr. John Piper was talking about Romans 8, and he was speaking to his church. This was several years ago, and this is what he said, and I would issue this same challenge to you. He said, my prayer is that the breathtaking goodness of the good news in Romans 8 will not comfort you on the path to destruction, but lead you through faith to the path of life. Y'all see what he's saying there? D- don't hear what I'm saying this morning and be comforted by that if you're not in Christ. Because what that's what it's gonna do is lead to your destruction. You're gonna think, oh, I'm good, I'm fine. All that stuff's meant for me. And what Paul Paul's saying is, no, it's not. If you're not in Christ, it's not meant for you. And so, what I would, what would challenge you is number one, if you are in Christ, and I know I'm speaking to a room probably with a lot of believers, that you should leave this morning more encouraged, more comforted, more on cloud nine than you've ever been. Because these truths are for you. You should feel awesome, right? Because he's talking to you. However, if that's not you, I don't want to make a blanket statement this morning and say, Oh, this is for everybody. Because Paul says it's, it's not for everybody. So if it's not you, do what Dr. Piper says there and says, Let it lead you through faith to the path of life. Lead you to a place where you can be in Christ, where you can confess your sins, and you can fall on your face and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. I want to place my faith in you, and I want to ask for forgiveness of my sins. So then, therefore, you will be considered in this elect that Paul talks about in in Romans 8. So I don't know where you fall this morning. Only you and the Lord know where you are in that situation. Uh, Only God knows the heart. But I wanted to make that clear because I want it to be super encouraging for you guys that are in Christ. Y'all should leave like you should be able to run through a brick wall. But if you're not in Christ, you should be ready to to submit and surrender your will to Him so that you can fall in to what Paul is talking about in in Romans 8. So I'm going to ask the the band to come and they're going to close us and and we're going to finish up with uh, the last few verses next week. Um, If you want to be reading and reflecting there for next week, be a good place to go because we're going to be finishing up uh, Romans Romans 8 next week. Lord, um, as the band comes, I just pray that we would worship your name in spirit and truth as we close this service. And Lord, I do realize that the, the percentages would say that most people in this room, if not all people, I have no way of knowing, um, they are believers in you. They have placed their faith and trust in you. And Lord, if that is true, and only you can verify that, then let every single one of those people this morning leave with their head high, their heart high, that they be encouraged and just be totally secure, totally safe because of the sacrifice that you've made. That's what these verses are about, and I don't want anybody to, to miss that. And I pray you would give that comfort to them and just holding them in your arms. But, Lord, if there's just one person, maybe they're not even in this room, maybe they're going to listen later in their car on a a podcast or on our website or or whatever. If there's just one person that hears this message, and they're not certain that they are in you, that they've confessed their sins, they've asked you to forgive them, they've placed their 100% faith and trust in you and asked you to be their Lord and Savior, Lord, let these verses that Paul leaves for us today push them and challenge them to make that decision, to put their faith and trust in you. So then that the things we've read about today can then be applied to their life as well. Lord, I I pray that these verses have not paved the road to destruction for any non-believer that may read them, may hear them, but instead would push them and challenge them to a saving faith in your Son. Thank you for the greatness and the goodness and the glory of your Word. It is, it is humbling just to read it. And Lord, I pray we would spend time this week reading it, spending time reflecting, meditating upon it, talking about it, talking to our family, talking to our friends, talking to our co-workers and the students around us, whoever, wherever we may be, that God would you would put yourself on the throne of our lives and that you would be the one we talk about. You would be the one we think about. Resume your rightful place in our lives. It's key. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Let's stand.